Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences often shows us how much more we have in common. I'm Condice Presley. My guest on the show today is Dr. William Picard. He's written the book, Surviving the Shift, Seven Proven Millionaire Moves for Embracing Change and Building Wealth. Dr. Picard, welcome to Perspectives. Well, I'm happy to be with you on this beautiful afternoon. Now, let me tell the listeners a little bit more about you. Dr. Picard is one of the nation's most successful Black entrepreneurs. He is founder and executive chairman of Global Auto Alliance, that's GAA, also GAA New Ventures. He is co-managing partner at MGM Grand Detroit, CEO of Bearwood Management, and co-owner of five Black-owned newspapers, which have evolved into the company Real Times Media. He is a philanthropist, supporting education and colleges and universities, including Western Michigan University, The Ohio State University, Florida A&M, Spelman College, Clark Atlanta University, Morehouse College, among others. Dr. Picard earned his bachelor's at Western Michigan, his master's from the University of Michigan, and his PhD from The Ohio State University. Again, Dr. Picard, welcome to Perspectives. Well, I'm more than happy to be with you today. First things first, congratulations on your incredible career, your amazing success. I'm excited to talk with you about your new book, but first, please tell us your story. Start with the young boy who grew up to become this accomplished businessman. Well, you know, the good news is that it tells you that if I can make money in America, anyone can do it. And I really believe that when I say it, I think that regardless of your zip code, regardless of your mom and your daddy, that these things are possible. But I am from LaGrange, Georgia, and uh, my family moved up south when I was in the ninth grade. And uh, of course, my mother and father, neither one of them attended college. So I'm not a very bright intellectually guy, but uh, I went to what my grandfather called a Lord Have Mercy College. Uh, you call them community colleges. So I went to this Lord Have Mercy College for three years and I got my associate degree, but I'm bragging now. And when I was 28 years of age, I had a PHMD from The Ohio State University. And I tell students every day, wherever I go, it doesn't matter your zip code, it doesn't matter what your mom or your daddy did or did not do. I believe anybody from anywhere can accomplish anything, but you must put the work in. And I love to quote Drake because, you know, Drake said, when you're climbing that calendar, that challenger ladder, when you're climbing that ladder, your friendly idol one day will become your friendly rival if you put the work in. So if you put the work in, these things are possible. 
what did you want to be when you were growing up? Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. That's easy. Uh, I wanted to change the world. I thought I was going to had a master's in social work and I wanted to work for the National Urban League and I wanted to be the CEO. There was no doubt in my mind that I was going to be CEO of the National Urban League. And when I left the University of Michigan, my first job was with the Urban League of Cleveland. Doing what? And then then God stepped in. Oh, now tell me more. (laughs) Well, I go to Ohio State to get a doctorate. And I'm working at a McDonald's on High Street. And, the, you know, there's always talk between the Michigan and Ohio State, the rivalry and all this. And so one day a guy came in from McDonald's who was a muckety-muck. I guess he was an executive. And the kids all said, you know, that guy's from up north. He's from uh, Detroit. And the guy said, for real? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, we're going to open up some McDonald's in Detroit for black people. I said, well, I'll raise my hand right now. So he said, are you serious? I said, yes, sir. He said, but you're getting a PhD. I said, I'd rather have money than a PhD. Long story short, myself and two other guys put together $25,000 and opened our first McDonald's in 1971. And as the Bible would say, the rest is history. But I learned something along the way. There's a Chinese proverb that I love. It says, as one eats, the appetite becomes wetter. So as you have some success, you yearn for more success. And I think that has propelled me to do whatever I've done in life. Tell me about your period of service for then President Reagan with the African Development Foundation. What was that all about? Well, the African Development Foundation was a new governmental entity put together by former Congressman Bill, uh, what was his name? He was out of um, Philadelphia and um, the Republican guy, and they put it together and it was to go to Africa, work with non-governmental entities to create small businesses, which ironically in most cases in Africa were owned by women. So we went into about eight countries in Africa trying to help create, develop and start business and grow them. And we had some success, but more than success, I learned so much about Africa and about our own struggles in America, that I came away very excited about the future and how things could be done and accomplished in the world. When did you know that you were good at business? Oh boy, when I experienced my first failure in business. I bought this company in automotive. Uh, It was doing about $6 million. And I have this quote that I use all the time that once you know your mission, then you put together your coalition. So I'm not an engineer, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a finance guy. So I put together a team and we took this company at 6 million and we grew it to 50 million within three years. And all the press was excited. People thought we were good. And we got a contract for $150 million, 150 million. We didn't have the machinery, we didn't have the people, we didn't have the skill set, And of course, It was a disaster, but out of that came some very important lessons for me to learn as a business person. And by the grace of God, we saved the company, we saved the jobs, and I got another education. (laughs) How many employees were we talking about in that learning period? The company was called Rico Plastic. We had two plants and we probably had about 300 employees. 
It was in Michigan. You talk about learning from your mistakes or your failures because it just means I got to learn and try some more. As you have led these companies and become a successful entrepreneur, tell me about the day that you knew that you had made your first million. Not that you'd sold your first million, because you just talked to me about taking a business at six, growing it to 50, and then growing it and scaling up even more, but your own personal wealth. Tell me about that. Well, I think that um, by the grace of God, I was in a partnership with two other guys in McDonald's. And we opened our first restaurant, which got divided three ways. We opened our second restaurant. You got to divide it three ways. And then one of the gentlemen passed away. So we had to dissolve the corporation. So I walked away with um, the restaurants and my other friend went to Texas. And then I opened the third restaurant. It was a home run. We were the leading restaurant in Michigan for about seven years. And that's what really changed my trajectory in life. That made me a very successful and financial secure, secure person. That, rest, that one restaurant changed my life. And how did you know that you would begin to pay it forward? Because clearly your faith is very important to you because you've used the phrase by the grace of God more than once. Uh, talk to me about your faith and your passion for philanthropy. Well, I'm from LaGrange, Georgia. And as a kid growing up, you know, in LaGrange at that time, especially, uh, there were so many symbols of black folk working together and helping each other. For an example, uh, I remember the little church my mother and father and I attended. That we didn't have no perpetual fund for monies for cemeteries. Uh, we had to take care of the cemetery. We had to cut the grass. We had to do all these things as a family and as a village. And I learned how successful we worked together. I saw it in the church. We didn't have nobody write a big check for $1,000, but these nickels and dimes added together began to pay off. So I think that Georgia early, early experience helped me a lot. And then by the grace of God, when I was 14 or 15, we had a speaker when I quote, graduated from eighth grade and his name was Otis Moss. Ironically, he was from LaGrange. He was a senior at Morehouse College and he gave this speech and he talked about success. He talked about we were gonna grow up to be lawyers and doctors and all that. But then he said the following. He said, success without service is worse than a thief in the night. I have never ever forgotten that. Success without service is worse than a thief in the night. So, that has been one of my hallmarks that I really believe that when God gives you the vision, he also gives you the provision to achieve the vision. And I've been very blessed. And I was telling Matt here that one of the reasons Mr. Allen does so well is that I think he's been a great user of the success and the blessing. When God rewards you, he expects you to take care of those rewards but he also expects you to help others. Let's talk about this book, Surviving the Shift. Tell me about the, the title. I know it's, we've got seven principles. I'm gonna ask you to touch on each of them briefly uh, to help uh, growing entrepreneurs perhaps attain similar success to what, you have, to what you enjoy. Well, I was telling Matt earlier today that if we sat down with 
50 people or 30 people, if we talked to them for an hour, they would come up with all seven of my principles. But the challenge is we don't put them together, we don't organize, and we don't know how to activate them. For an example, the first principle that I believe in very strongly is vision. Even the Bible says without vision, the people shall perish. Bill Pickard said, you'll never see, you'll never be what you cannot see. And you must visualize what you want to actualize. If you can't see it, you won't be it. And I won't get into Madam C.J. Walker and how she, at 18 years of age, was a widower with one child, and they lived in this hut. And she would take the Sears and Roebuck catalog, tear the pages out, and put them up on the wall. Today we call that what? A vision board. You must see it to believe it. Now, when you talk about vision, you also talk about attitude, and it's important that they both be positive. Why? Well, obviously, we all have met people at 8 o'clock in the morning. You say, how's your day going? Horrible. I mean, come on now. It's only 8 o'clock in the middle of the morning. So I think attitude is the essence of all these things put together. The Bible says, again, as a man or a woman think it, so shall it be. And then you say it's important to prepare for the opportunities which will come your way. And we all know luck is just that, preparation meeting opportunity. I mean, this is what is so exciting about the time we live now. There are so many opportunities, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it's technology, but then some of the basic things that we need and use every day. There are opportunities everywhere. And I just encourage people to look Take some time to just sit and do nothing. Be still and God will talk to you. And the opportunities will flow. I mean, they will literally flow. But you must be aware and you must be spiritually in tune. And I tell everyone I meet, read, read, because it's all out there. We just have to capture it and use it. But opportunities are everywhere. Talk with our listeners about the importance of relationships, especially good relationships. Oh, my God. I met Bill Allen when he wasn't a billionaire, you know, <laughs> and now he has me doing things. No, I, I, my favorite example of this is I was a, a junior in college and we lived in a dorm that did not have food. And my roommate was a guy named Dennis Wayne Archer. He was a special ed major and I was a social work major. Now, special ed, social work, come on. You can't get more basic than that. Well, 40 years later, he becomes mayor of the city of Detroit. And Detroit approved a referendum for three casinos. My version of that is MGM comes to town and they meet with the mayor, they talk with the mayor and then they said, Mr. Mayor, can you give us the name of one person that would be a good business partner? He said, yes, Bill Pickard. Changed my life, changed my family's life, generational wealth. And this came because of a relationship. So I encourage young people, especially, whether you're in college, on student government, whether you're in a fraternity or a sorority, get involved, be active. But a lot of people say, I ain't brown nosing, I don't wanna do this. Well. I would suggest that sometimes if you don't network, you will not work. And definitely not grow your net worth, right? Yes, ma'am. I like that. I'll use it next week and give you credit. 
It takes money to make money. And sometimes people of color especially struggle with being able to have access to the financial resources necessary to put that great idea into play. You went into partnership with two of your friends for that first McDonald's franchise. What do you mean by understanding that financing really isn't that difficult? Not at all. Now, don't get me wrong. People can say, well, Picker, you got $500 in the bank, so you can make statements like that. But I would suggest to you that in today's world especially, there are so many programs from the government to Lord have mercyism and to foundations that there are lots of ways to raise money. Now, I must tell you that the first place you raise money is yourself. Because if you don't save something, and if you don't put something away, no matter how brilliant you are, I don't want to invest in you. But if you put something into the pot, and if you have this vision, all things are possible. I tell people every day, I don't bet on the horse. I bet on the jockey. Who's going to manage this business? Who's going to sleep with it like Matt? 24-7. I want somebody to work every day when I put my money into a deal because I'm going to do the same thing. You've talked about your colleague, Matt, throughout our conversation. You also write about choosing a team that has the right talent and the skill set that you need. I suspect Matt meets that criteria. Very much so. I mean, he is just a, a guy on Friday and Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. And every organization needs a Matt because no one person can do everything. I mean, I used to do a lot of time, you know, training McDonald managers and they would complain about the help and complain about this. And I said, well, let me tell you something, son. If they're all that bad, send them all home and see if you can run the McDonald's by yourself. Of course, you cannot do that. So whatever you're doing in life, I personally like teams. I'm an only child. So maybe I had to go out and buy friends and I pledged the alpha, what they want to call it. But I know this. A team is much more valuable than an individual. If you have a team and each person brings a different skill set, you have a greater chance for success. And I repeat what I said a moment ago. When God gives you the vision, then you should put together your coalition. Once you know your mission, then you put together your coalition. Dr. Picard, why is it so important to you to share your knowledge, your experience, and your wisdom with a new generation of readers, future entrepreneurs, future successful businessmen, and women like you? Because our community, especially all communities need successes in business, but my community, especially Black folk, we need to create, there's nothing wrong with a great job at Cox Enterprises or Sears, not Sears, but Kmart or Target. We need people in corporate America. But some of us got to get out here and make it. And we create jobs and we begin to have symbols of success that our people can see and touch. So much like Mr. Bill Allen, I am terribly committed, terribly committed to try to inspire and inform the next generation. What do you want readers to take away from this book? You can do it. Simple as that. You can do it. And again, I repeat myself. Anybody 
from anywhere can accomplish anything if they put the work in. I don't care about your mama. I don't care about your daddy. I don't care about your zip code. I don't care whether you're 88 or 58 or 38. It can be done, but you must put the work in. Who were the men and women who inspired you to be the successful man that you are today? Well, obviously, as you travel this road, you meet a lot of people who inspire you and give you hope. And I would say a lot of it goes back to LaGrange, Georgia. But as always, there are three or four people that stand out in your mind. And I'll just give you one example. This is enough to make you laugh. I've always been active in the Urban League because remember, when I was growing up, I wanted to be the CEO of the Urban League. I never made it. But on the other hand, I was on the board of the Urban League in, Cle in uh, Detroit, Michigan. And our director retired. And his retirement chairman was Henry Ford II. So I said, my God, Henry Ford II? So sure enough, he came that night. He gave a speech, gave Dr. Carnegie keys to a new Lincoln. I said, wait a minute. I don't want no keys to a Lincoln. I want some money. So I went to Dr. Carnegie and said, Dr. Carnegie, I'd like to get a dealership one day. Will you take me to meet Mr. Henry Ford? He said, I'll do it. But you come to meetings on time and you do a better job of coming to meetings early. And sure enough, maybe two or three months later, he took me to meet the Henry Ford II. And in that meeting, my life was changed because I went into that meeting wanting to be an automotive dealer. When I left that meeting, it became crystal clear to me that the opportunities were greater in being an automotive supplier. And that has changed my life. Say more about that, sir. Well, you know, automobiles, I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and it was once called General Motors uh, Mecca because everybody in Flint, Michigan worked for General Motors. And they made the Buick, they made the Chevrolet, they made the Pontiac, they made the Oldsmobile, and of course they made the Cadillac. But I never thought that I could get a job or be a part of making parts for those cars. And then as one eats, the appetite becomes wetter. And so I was able to buy a company just doing $6 million, but it was in bankruptcy and I bought it and took it up to 50 million. And then the rest is history because I almost went bankrupt because I grew too fast, but I learned a lot through that process. And I learned that, hey, failure is never fatal and success is never final. Dr. Picard, what is left on your bucket list? I just want black folks to understand that this ain't no rocket sign, that all white folks ain't brilliant, all black folks ain't brilliant, and that we can do this. So you ought to have something in your life that you get up in the morning with a passion to make it happen. It might be to become an NBA basketball player. I hope it ain't. It might be a great recording star, maybe. But more importantly, find something that you love to do and put your whole life into it, whether it's making money or whether it's building buildings or whether it's being a great designer. It's possible. It's doable. And I believe unequivocally that when you see people that look like you, you begin to believe that you too can do it. Thank you again to Dr. William Picard. The book, Surviving the Shift, 
seven proven millionaire moves for embracing change and building wealth. Gentlemen, thank you so very much. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condace Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condace? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.